evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, Matt. We're back again. How's it going, man? It's going all right. It's going all right. It's... so la- I was going to bring this up. All right. So last week we were talking about how absolutely cold right. it was, you know, here in Middle Tennessee. Right. Single digits. Tomorrow it's supposed to be 60. Yeah. Love that Southern weather, don't you? <laughs> it's that, that old saying, you don't like the weather here? Wait a minute. Uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait a week. And it, then it'll be like summertime. And then Friday when this episode comes out. We got chance of snow. Uh, yeah. So it's like 60 degrees Wednesday, snowing Friday. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, uh, don't forget your umbrella and your snow boots yeah. and your shorts. <laughs> Take it all with you. There's a reason I keep a, a quote unquote get home bag in the yeah. car. <laughs> yeah. It's not for emergencies. It's for the weather. Yeah. You know, I got yeah, a raincoat right. in there and, uh, you know, extra underwear and socks just in case, you know. <laughs> so we wanted to go ahead and thank everybody at the top of the episode for all the support you've shown us since we've started and recently. Um, you know, we've been getting a lot of nice messages from everybody and a lot of support on sharing the episodes and all that. And it's yeah. it's really means a lot to us. It's overwhelming, really. Yeah, we we were just talking this past weekend, how just, it's just amazing to us that, uh, anybody wants to listen to what we have to say. <laughs> right. But, uh, God, we really do appreciate it. I mean, we have such a good time doing this. Oh yeah. And, uh, and we, we're so glad that everybody's enjoying it and, uh, that just makes us want to keep doing it. Yep. So. Well, you know, we started it because we wanted to, it was right. one of those things that we just wanted to do it. And we're like, well, there might be like a handful of people outside our family that listens, yeah. like, you know, maybe four or five people and then my mom and, you know, stuff. And my mom doesn't even listen. Mine doesn't either. So she's a jerk. <laughs> um, but we, you know, it, it just amazes us all the time when we see how many people are actually listening and yeah. enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, so we wanted to to thank you all and thank you all for sharing and getting the word out there. Uh, it's, you know, it means a lot to us for you to just tell somebody about us, yeah. you know, have them check us out too. Um, so in big Adam news, I got some big Adam news this week. Um, tomorrow, which I, by the time this episode comes out, see, it's always weird. This whole like time loop, yeah, time warp, the time thing. warp. Um, so by the time this episode comes out, I will have been doing it for two days, but I'm going to start a liquid fast for a couple of days. Um, so a, it's a good thing that, um, we're recording before that started because I could be hangry and I could be even more of a butthole than normal. Um, so it's a good thing we're starting before then, you know, um, and then B you guys pray for me because I like my foods and this isn't going to be easy. <laughs> yeah. This is it's going to get ugly. Yeah, it probably will. Matt's going to like block my number for the week or something. Cause I'm going to be calling and texting and just complaining 
I want a cheeseburger. I'm not coming over here when you're doing this cleanse. (laughs) It could be bad for a lot of reasons. It's a cleanse. Right. Um, And on the other, uh, the other big news note, um, I was telling you, Matt, a little bit ago, um, the little house ghost I have has become a little more active as of last night. And, um, you know, I think he comes and goes because he's not always active here. Either that or he just takes long naps. I don't know. He's got a like a summer home somewhere. Right, he right. He just, he just comes here when the weather gets better. He leaves when it's in single digits, you know. <laughs> um, but I noticed there was a lot more of the walking down my hallway sounds, which is usually him that uh, signifies he's messing around. And then... Last night, as I was brushing my teeth, getting ready for bed, I'm standing there looking in the mirror, brushing my teeth. And in the mirror, I see a shadow go across the hallway behind me. And all I could do is, with toothbrush in my mouth and everything, I was like, dude, go to bed. I'm about to go to sleep. You know, (laughs) just like, leave me alone, dude. You do what you want to do, but I'm going to bed. Don't wake me up. Um, Turn the TV down. Yeah, please just keep Stay it down. Stay out of the fridge. Don't don't bring don't invite any you know uh, female ghosts over and get too loud. Um, but seemed to be all right all last night. He didn't wake me up or anything. I slept pretty good. But then tonight, when I'm getting ready for you to come over, I'm sitting here going over notes in the the graveyard here, and I I heard a whistle, just like in the house. And I know it wasn't just me because Dallas perked his ears up. He was laying here next to me. And he perked his ears up and kind of looked out of the room. So, you know, I slowly lean back in my chair and look out of the door. And I'm thinking, I'm going to see him. This will be the time I actually see full-fledged apparition. But I didn't see him or anybody. But I get up and I'm, you know, creeping through my house, looking at all the rooms, make sure nobody has gotten in. Mm-hmm. Um, but he started whistling now. So that's a new development. So we'll see what comes of that. So, <laughs> but before we get into it, uh, let's take a quick potty break and hear from Dudes with Brews on a Porch. Hey everyone, my name is Drew. This is Josh. And we host a show called Dudes with Brews on a Porch. Every week we pick a different Wisconsin-based beer or coffee. We try it out. We let you know what we think. We talk about life. We talk about sports, all things Wisconsin. A lot of paranormal things come up as well. Who knows what we'll talk about next as we dive into our weekly beverage. Dudes with Brews on a Porch can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you find your podcast. Dudes with Brews on a Porch brought to you by the podcast network Pew Pew Audio. Dude. All right, Matt. So what are we getting into tonight? All right. Tonight, we are going to discuss SHC, which is Scary Haunted Children. No, we're not no. not doing that at all. Um, <laughs> if we're doing that, I'm out. I'm sitting this one out. <laughs> no, actually, SHC stands for Spontaneous Human Combustion. I'm glad, uh, glad you actually did the real one that time because... It, Right as you said that, a really naughty one popped in my head, which I'll I'll tell you after the show. I can't do that. PG-13 and all. Yeah, that's right. We got to keep this show clean. Right. In case the Chirins, the scary haunted Chirins are listening. Yep. So, uh, so spontaneous human combustion. Adam's going to tell us a little bit about what the heck is that? All right. So first, uh, in the 1800s, Charles Dickens 
kind of spurred interest in it um, because in his novel Bleak House, he actually used SHC to kill off one of the characters, uh, the character named Crook. He was an alcoholic and like a real bad dude. And so Charles Dickens had read a little bit about uh, SHC and decided, hey, be a good way to kill off a bad guy in my book. So mm-hmm. he did and used the excessive amounts of alcohol in the body as the cause of why he spontaneously combusted. But using that, what he wasn't the only one to use that. Uh, Mark Twain did it. Herman Melville did it. Washington Irving did it and others. Now, what exactly is spontaneous human combustion? Well, spontaneous combustion is when an object, and in this case, humans, burst into flames from a chemical reaction within, apparently without being ignited by an external heat source. So, basically, you're sitting there, and to all external appearances, you just go, and you're in flames. Yeah. You know, which I've seen videos of people lighting certain gas expellents from their body on fire, and it kind of looks the same way. You know, just all of a sudden, boof, and their pants are on fire. But anyway, the defining characteristics... <laughs> must the total lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the defining characteristics of potential SHC cases are, one, there's a high degree of bodily incineration along with a comparatively minimal level of damage to its surroundings. Two, burning is centered around the torso. Three, no obvious signs of an external cause of fire. And four, the victim is found alone with little to no sign of having struggled. Now, what makes the charred bodies in the photos of these, if you go look them up, you'll see some pretty cool and gruesome photos of SHC victims. But what makes it so weird is that oftentimes the extremities, the arms, the legs, remain intact. Um, the torso and the head are usually charred either beyond recognition or they're a pile of dust. Um, but feet, hands, parts of legs even uh, can remain completely mm-hmm. unburned. <clears throat> yeah, and one thing that you'll you'll notice when we go through some of these cases tonight, um, if a body's going to burn, it doesn't do it this way. Right. Uh, the fingertips, earlobes, tip of your nose. Those things, they're all cartilage, and they're small, they're not very dense, and they're almost obliterated. Right. <clears throat> the torso, the, the head, the chest, the abdomen burn much, much slower. Right. And at much higher temperatures. Right. And we'll get into that in probably the end, toward the end of the episode. So hang around if you wouldn't normally hang around, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, also, uh, the room around the person will show little to no signs of fire. Um, usually there's like a greasy residue that's left on the furniture or walls near the body. Um, in rare cases, the internal organs will remain untouched while the outside of the body is charred. So you could have intestines, stomach, whatever, intact, and all the skin and muscle and everything else around the body is charred. Now, should probably stop real quick and go, you figured out this is going to be a gory kind of episode? Yeah, um, it is. I'll to make, a degree. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes um, just as a warning. But it gets a little more gory 
than what I'm talking now. Not too bad. But if you got any kids that shouldn't hear gory stuff, then probably don't let them listen. But yeah, if you wouldn't let them watch like, you know, real surgery or something on right discovery right. channel, or at least somebody then, describing real surgery on discovery channel. Yeah. Um, but not all of the SHC victims are said to burst into flames. Some develop weird <clears throat> burns around the body that have no obvious source, or they tend to emanate smoke when no fire is present. Um, like a lot of times like breathe out and they're not a smoker. They're not a vapor and they breathe out and you see smoke come out of their lungs and no external reason for why they should be doing that. Um, there's a very small percentage of people who have survived what is called their spontaneous combustion. Um, so that's basically a general overview of what SHC is, but let's get into when the study of this kind of began. And it's probably not the very first look into the phenomenon, but it's one of the earliest ones. Um, it had been bouncing around, like the idea of it had been bouncing around for a while, but the basic concept and arguments for it for you know someone just bursting into flames wasn't really a formal topic of people who learned men at the time uh, until about 1745 uh, in 1745 an article was published in the philosophical transaction of london written by mr paul raleigh and he presented three unusual deaths which the first one is Countess de Bondi something that I can't pronounce, so I'll put probably put that in the show notes <laughs> so you can pronounce it for me and then tell me how poorly you know I did with trying to pronounce that. But Yeah, I'm looking at it. I can't pronounce it either. No. Uh, that was in 1731. Grace Pett, a much easier name to pronounce, was in 1744, and John Hitchell in 1613. So those, he looked at those three cases, and he noted the similarities of the three, which, generally speaking, is that they died of fires of unknown or unexplained origins. So he laid out his argument for the possibility of internal combustion. And when he put forth these ideas, they lasted for about 200 years, just becoming the classic criteria of when looking at a human body that was burned to see if it might be an SHC case or whether it wasn't. So those criteria were that a flame from any candle, lamp, or cooking fire could not possibly consume a human body to the great extent that is seen in these cases, especially in the case of reducing bone into ash. Yeah, that, that takes a lot. That's a lot heat. of heat. Um, that under normal circumstances, other objects in the areas of the body should have also caught fire. But the flames seem to have unnaturally confined themselves to just the human victims. So basically nothing around them, the chair, the bed, the, fo the floor, the carpet, nothing had caught fire, kind of like we had mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, 
that most commonly in these cases, the torsos are destroyed, but outer limbs are not, which is just the opposite damage that a normal fire would cause, where the limbs are typically destroyed, but the torso is not. Right. Um, Four, the common presence of unburned limbs is likely due to a fire that starts within the torso area of the body and that runs out of fuel before reaching to the tips of the extremities. So basically it starts in the torso before it gets all the way to the hands and the feet, it extinguishes itself. And five, these fires must occur and spread extremely fast for victims of it never appear to have resisted it. So death and burning must have been near instantaneous. So in short, there must have been a violent, spontaneous combustion. Right. And, you know, one in particular of the cases that that we looked over, the, the person is completely incinerated in about 20 minutes. Right. Which is outside of what is understood by fire investigators the length of time it would take and the amount of heat it would take to completely incinerate even, you know, three quarters of a human body. Right. If you look at, you know, what crematoriums do, that's hours. Right. Like hours it, and hours. Yeah. It, it ain't no microwave. No. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, it takes a while. And as we mentioned before, it takes a lot of heat. So the, the idea that enough heat, can be produced from any source uh, enough to, I mean, virtually destroy a human body, but yet objects in the same room go unaffected. Right. I mean, it, it just seems crazy. Yep. You know, how, even if somebody came in there with a blowtorch and just lit somebody up, it, it would, it would take longer than 20 minutes. Oh, for sure. And, and if you manage to get them hot enough, there would be a lot of evidence that heat them. I mean, you couldn't even stand to be in. There. Right, right. I mean, you know, it's just so that's why this subject gets so many. If you've ever looked at a dog when you make a noise and they turn their head, that's kind of what people do mm-hmm. when they start talking about this because they're like, oh, you know, yep. spontaneous human combustion. That's ridiculous. Yeah, there's no way that could possibly. Yeah, happen. that's that's just made up. But then when you start looking at these cases and you're like. We can't explain this. Right. You know, because like we were talking earlier, you know, you're sitting in your chair and you've got your TV remote on the arm of the chair. You've got pictures on the wall behind you and everything. And you catch fire, say normal fire. You just catch fire. Sure. Heat rises. So the ceiling is going to show damage. The ceiling is going to show blackening from the smoke from the heat of the fire and everything. And under normal circumstances, yeah, that may not get hot enough to melt or burn anything around you. However, it's also not going to incinerate the body. Right. It's not hot enough to incinerate the body. So if you get a flame that is hot enough to incinerate the body, which is 60 to 75% water, then the heat from that, fire yes it's going to travel up but it's going to be so hot around it in a surrounding area that the tv remote sitting next to you is going to melt 
possibly catch fire and catch the, the chair you're sitting on on fire. The picture frames are going to melt or catch fire from the heat. So it's not a normal fire because a normal fire would spread in that manner. It would melt something else and the fire itself may not jump sideways, but it's going to melt something and catch that on fire. And so the fire then spreads. Yeah. You ever seen anybody get a hot foot? No. Okay. So this used to be a thing that baseball players would do in the dugout. You know, you shove a match in the, you know, in the inside a guy's cleat. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you light it, and it burns, and it gets close to their foot. What do they do? Whoa! They jump. Right. And they're running around, and everybody gets a good laugh. Right. So imagine you're sitting in this chair with the TV remote beside you, and your shirt catches on fire, mm-hmm. even slowly burning. You know, if you're awake or coherent at all, you're going to realize, right? hey, I'm on fire, and you're going to move. Mm-hmm. You're not going to sit in a position Even long enough to just go, hey, I'm just going to sit here and let this fire just start mm-hmm. burning me up. Right. And again, that's just one of the things that make this even more peculiar. You know, the, the, this person was obviously sitting in this chair and now they're, there's a leg. Right. And ash. Right. You know, so. And, and there's also evidence that these people were alive when they started to burn. You know, one case in particular, we're not going to go into great detail in tonight. Um, the fire investigator was interviewed and the lower part of this person's legs remained and he noticed blisters. And so when he touched the blisters, he said, you know, fluid didn't come out, but they were wet. So a wet blister occurred while the person was alive. Right. So it wasn't like somebody was trying to cover up a murder and burn the body, Mm -hmm. which people have tried to do Mm -hmm. and have been unsuccessful because they can't get a fire hot enough. Right. In fact, um, back in the days when they used to burn people at the stake, uh, it was said, it was written that they needed two cartloads of wood because of the length of time that it takes to burn a human body. So, you know, this guy, you know, if he's trying to hide a body that somebody he murdered and he can't get a fire hot enough to get rid of the bones and everything else, how is somebody getting hot enough to just completely turn to ash sitting in their living room? But that's what some of these cases are. Right. So... So, Matt, why don't, since we've sat here and theorized about it so far, why don't we get into some of the cases that you have that are kind of weird? Yep. All right. I'm going to start tonight with one that is is possibly uh, one of the most well-known um, because the FBI did get involved in this one. And and this is the case of uh, Mary Reeser. Miss um, Reeser uh, was from Saint Petersburg, Florida. Um, her landlady was trying to deliver a telegram on July second, nineteen fifty one, and she noticed that the doorknob was hot, and she thought something was wrong, so she called the police. So when the police 
arrived. Uh, and, you know, when the police arrive, when you call first responders, fire department's coming too. So when they found her, um, she was in a burned out chair uh, with only the, the charred springs from the seat remaining. They, ha- they could see her left foot, and it still had a slipper on it. Uh, her backbone and her skull, which was mysteriously shrunken down. But the curious thing is when, when they arrived there, they weren't 100% sure what they were looking at. So, which I understand. Yeah, I mean, they, it was like, is this a bag of trash? Is this, you know, what what is this? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they see a foot with a shoe on it, and they realize this is a person. Right. Okay. So, <clears throat> at the time that this happened, the heat inside the house was so intense that it cracked a mirror. It melted candles, and it melted plastic light switch and outlet covers. Now, we we talked about the amount of heat it takes to burn a human body. 2,500 degrees is what's required to... Fahrenheit, correct? Yeah, Fahrenheit. To, um, yeah, we're in the U.S., so it's Fahrenheit. <laughs> Sorry. Um but 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit is what is required to create a cremation like Miss Reeser, you know, where, you know, essentially three quarters of her body and bones have been incinerated. So with that much heat, there should have been a lot of other damage. It, it wasn't from a burning cigarette. Right. A burning cigarette, touching clothes is not going to produce that level of heat. And and even if it did, even if it did and that much heat was generated, you know, other objects in the room would have been damaged or destroyed. So... Because right. um, a cigarette, uh, I think I read, was is about 700-ish 700, yeah. degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So that's a big jump. Yeah. From a cigarette at 700 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. On up. And, you know, the thing about Miss Reeser is she was, she was a, an older lady. Um, you know, she, uh, she had diabetes. And the typical profile for victims of, uh, of spontaneous human combustion, they're, they're female, although there's, there's, there's many cases of males, but typically female. Um, they're frail, you know, diabetic, smoke, alcoholic, those kind of things. And, and as Adam mentioned earlier, alcoholism was a, uh, I don't know. They, they thought that there was a connection between alcoholics and spontaneous human combustion, because the idea was that alcohol in the system would, would fuel the fire. Right. Um, it's not quite accurate, but it's not really accurate at all. But there is, there is a correlation that alcoholism plays a role in, in a lot of these investigations for the, the people that are supposed victims of this. So they, they looked at this, it, it, at the ash 
and and the pieces of of uh, remains that they had. This was on July second of of nineteen fifty one. On July seventh, the chief of police in Saint Petersburg put what he had in a box the the shrunken skull, um, some small things that looked to be like teeth, uh, broken glass, a section of burned out carpet, and the slipper that was found. He put all this stuff in a box and he sent it to J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI. Oh, so, movie boy. And, and with a request that says, help, we, we can't figure out what happened here. This is what we have of, of the area where she was, her remains, and, you know, the carpet and the shoe. These were all close enough to her to have been destroyed. And there's, there's no other damage other than the burn marks on the ceiling and the floor. So the FBI investigated this case and they said we think she died of the wick effect which we're going to get into uh in a little bit more detail but just for the, for the sake of uh completing this particular case the, the wick effect is where your the the heat will cause your skin to split and your fat, your body fat, to melt. And it will absorb into the cloth of the clothing that you are wearing. And that will work like a wick. Basically a human candle. Yeah. I mean, human fat, it, well, fat in general, is when it melts, it becomes a flammable liquid. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, you know, candles were made by, made from animal fat right. for, you know, centuries. So... You're essentially a human candle, and your body fat melting and seeping into the clothing that you're wearing is is fueling this fire and not necessarily damaging the cloth, but you're you're burning from right. inside. So that's what their um, that's what the FBI's uh, theory was. She was a known user of sleeping pills, so they said, okay, so she. Uh, she took some sleeping pills. She passed out um, and fell asleep with a lit cigarette. And this is what happened. However, we've already mentioned that a lit cigarette on clothes is probably not going to produce enough right. heat to completely incinerate somebody. Right. And I have, I have been, I used to smoke. I have been. As did I. I have been. Drunk enough where I passed out with a cigarette in my hand. It has landed on me and it has woken me up from a drunk real quick. Um, Maybe I wasn't as drunk or as inebriated on something as some of these were that they're saying, but even drunk, I was able to feel my skin burning from the cigarette laying on my chest or my arm and I sobered up quick enough to get the cigarette off of me and put it out. Yeah. You know, and may have passed out, may or may not have passed out right after that, but, you know, I came to enough to put it out. Yeah. So. And, you know, in the United States, one out of every four fire-related deaths is due to uh, smoking materials. Right. So it, it's not, 
it's not a crazy theory, but to me, it sounds like low hanging fruit, you know, Oh, they were a smoker. This is what happened. Yep. We don't know. So we're going to say that maybe, you know, but any kind of smoking material, cigarettes, Hey, it's 1951 matches. Mm -hmm. They would have all been burned up. Right. You know, if they were on her person, they would be gone. It was hot enough to burn bones. You know, a, a box of a box of matches and a and a cigarette. Yeah, I mean, forget it. It's gone. Right. There'd be no trace evidence. Yeah. So, to find. you know, again, it's just it's just a theory. It's just an idea that, oh, hey, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, like I said, it sounds like low hanging fruit. Is it like an easy oh, easy yeah. picking? You know, yeah, that, I, we move on. We can't. Whether or not it's it's true, it is like you said. It's the easy answer. Yeah. It's the easy way yeah. out when you're stymied. To say, well, this is, yeah, it's that. It's, you know, she caught fire from smoking because she smokes and that's what happened. Yeah. Rather than looking into it further, which you probably can't because there's not much to look into. Yeah. You know, there's no evidence. Like you said, it's all burn up. Yeah. But enough heat to, to break a mirror, you know, something, I mean, you know, something got that hot. Yep. So. Melt, melting light, uh, light switch covers and everything that's that's a hot fire that's right we're gonna we're gonna talk about some other hot fires here right here so uh is that an innuendo no okay good (laughs) so um in 1979 in uh illinois uh a woman named um named beatrice ozki was um a supposed victim of uh spontaneous human combustion and I'm not, I didn't say uh, SHC because I was going to screw up the letters. <laughs> um, so Miss Oski was alcoholic. She was diabetic. She was a smoker. And she wore a brace on her leg due to a fracture that never quite healed right because she was diabetic and a smoker. And, and that, that happens. Um, her son, Frank, was... Um, was there Thanksgiving weekend, and he was getting ready to go on uh, on a ski trip. But Frank said he, you know, he he knew his mom, he knew she was disabled, but she said she had she didn't have any fear of being left alone. He didn't have any qualms about leaving her alone for a couple of days. You know, he he this was kind of routine, and he knew she'd be okay. Right. So. The next morning after Frank left, the um, Frank's ex-wife, you know, her daughter-in-law, she comes over to pick up some things and knocks on the door. And, and knowing that Beatrice was disabled, waited, and, and gave her enough time to get up and get to the door. Well, she never came to the door, and so the daughter-in-law got a little worried, so she had a key. She unlocked the door and let herself in. And she said there was the kind of the smell of smoke um, lingering. Uh, it was warm in the house. And so she started calling out, but Beatrice didn't answer. So she called the police. So the police show up, firefighters show up. Um, they walked in there and they said, what is this? I mean, they, they, 
I actually watched an interview with some of the guys that actually responded to this particular scene. And they said, we had no idea what we were looking at. Mm-hmm. And said, one of the guys noticed a brace in the, in the pile and saw her foot and said, this is a human being that we're looking at. So immediately, you know, things start, you know, we, we start beginning the investigation and everything. So they begin to, to, to try to determine where the fire would have started. Um, you know, assessing the damage and everything. Um, and they couldn't figure it out. Right. You know, they, they, they were looking for, they were looking for electrical outlets to be burned. They were looking for, um, you know, some type of accelerant. If it had been a crime, nothing, you know, they're not, they're not seeing, uh, any kind of fuel, anything like that. Now it's, it's again, it's, it's good to be noted that, Beatrice was a careless smoker and was known to be a really heavy drinker, you know, and not pay attention, you know, cigarette burns throughout the house. You know, there were burns on, you know, articles of clothing and the sofas and things like that, um, that, you know, if, if you're a smoker and you smoke in your house, you probably have some of that anyway, even if you're not a careless smoker. Right. Um, but. This was her situation. So, again, it was easy pickings to go, eh, it looks like she got drunk and fell asleep with a cigarette. Yep. <clears throat> Except for her son, Frank, uh, said, well, this has happened before. You know, she is a heavy drinker. You know, she was intoxicated, fell asleep, passed out with a cigarette in her hand, and it fell onto her abdomen and it burned the gown that she was wearing and it burned about a two inch spot right on her stomach, two inch skin burn, right? Burned a hole in what she was wearing. Cigarette. She fell asleep. That's what cigarette did. Yep. So we've got evidence. (laughs) Yeah. So that same event, Caused her to completely right turn yeah. to turn to ash. We have <laughs> evidence from a previous time that this happened, yeah. and it only gave her a two inch burn. Right, and her gown went out. It didn't completely combust. Right, she did not become a pile of flames. No, pile of flames, a pile yeah. of ash. Right from that. Right, and now. The investigator says, "Oh well, that's what it is." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one point on on this one and and uh, Mary Reeser's story is I mentioned this earlier. When a body burns, you know your fingertips, earlobes, tip of your nose, facial features, those things they go first, right? But in almost Every case of a burn victim being found, you can tell that it's a human being. You know, you find a body in a house, you know, a body in a car. You can almost always tell that's a human being. Right. 
said sometimes it requires an autopsy to be able to tell the sex of the individual, but you can tell that it's a human. Right. There's they, enough of the form left. Yeah. When firefighters got in there, they didn't even realize that Beatrice was a human being. They thought it was just a, a pile of something that had been burned in this woman's living room. Right. Until they saw her brace in her foot. And that's when they knew it was a human being. Yeah. So something burned her so hot that it, I mean, it, it just it just obliterated her, yeah. her body, Complete her organs, her bones. Yes. You know, with the exception of that brace and, and her foot, which was probably protected by the brace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's further away. You know, if, if we're if we're buying into this idea, um, it starts in the torso and works its way out. Right. As it gets to the limbs, you know, it, it begins to burn out. Right. You know, which, again, is opposite of what would happen if even if somebody had gone in there and just set her, you know, house ablaze. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if they there doused was, her with gasoline, right. threw a match right. on her and lit her up. Like they said, you know, like we were reading a minute ago, the most of the time in a burn scenario like that, the smaller bits of the body, the fingers, the toes are going to be gone. And you may even have nothing left but a torso, maybe the thighs Mm -hmm. and the skull from the burning because it works its way out to in, not in to out. Right. And in these cases, it's in to out. Mm-hmm. So, it, like we said earlier, it's backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Totally backwards because of where, where it supposedly is starting. Um, so, some interesting notes about uh, Miss Oski's case is right next to her body was like a nightstand, end table kind of deal. There was a newspaper there. Unburned. There was a sofa covered in plastic that was unharmed. You know, wasn't the, even melted. You know the old the old plastic sofa covers. Mm-hmm. You know, so comfortable. Yeah, you know, you slip right <laughs> off of it. Um, there was an end table with a lamp and a telephone, also undamaged, and the house was relatively undamaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know it. it you would think in a fire this hot, it would have caught the rest of the house on fire and completely destroyed it. Right. So the the questions that, I, the, the, well, one question that came to me while I was going over this particular case was, why would she burn so completely, yet the rest of the house be spared? What in the world could possibly, I, I mean, I'm going to tell you, if I... If I go and take some oily rags and I just pitch them over here in Adam's floor and then I go over and set them on fire and walk out, there's a really good chance that, that I'm going to be mad. He's going to be <laughs> mad. I mean, I hell I would be. Yeah. But there's a really good chance that everything that's in this room is going to burn. Right. I mean, there's a really good chance if nothing's done. And as long as it's got oxygen to fuel it, it's going to burn, and, and it's going it's going it's going to spread, and it's going to take stuff with it. Yet that didn't happen in this case, mm-hmm. and it and it doesn't happen in probably ninety ninety five percent of the cases that you know are considered to be uh, SHC, right? So, 
Um, any thoughts on this one, Adam? You know, it. my thoughts kind of go along the same lines as the last one. Is It's just the everything involved in the case doesn't sound like a normal fire to me. And yeah. we've said it several times, but there's just something off. And there's something that, you know, I can't wrap my head around to say that it was a normal external source of flame. Because, like like I said before, something around her would be damaged. There would be some evidence of something melting. Mm-hmm. The plastic cover on the sofa would have showed some sign of melting, of heat yeah. damage in some way. The, I mean, if you've ever taken a lighter and held it close to a newspaper, magazine, just a piece of notebook paper, the paper may not burn, may not catch fire and smolder, but it's going to blacken. And you can watch it blacken. That untouched newspaper next to Mm -hmm. it. So nothing seems... Nothing is normal about the case. The only thing normal is that fire caused ash. Right. That's the only thing normal is the the remains from a really intense flame. Yeah. So, you know, you put a body in a crematorium and you leave them there for hours at a really high, high temperature. What you're left with is ash and... Occasionally, you're left with teeth because dentine does not burn as well as bone. It's a little bit tougher and can take longer to disintegrate. Um, You're left with fillings or anything implanted in the body, any artificial hips, any artificial joints. Um, You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of stories of when you take the ashes from a crematorium and put them in an urn, they usually will sift through that to get rid of the larger bits because there is so many large bits that are not burnt. Keep in mind, this is in a crematorium that is designed to reduce you to ash and get rid of the body and leave nothing but ash there. Unlike somebody's living room. Right. And there is stuff left over. Occasionally there are bits of bone left over that do not burn and Mm -hmm. disintegrate. Bits of skull, the the harder bones, the the femurs. um, It can be left there and they have to do something with it because it will not burn. But in these cases despite the one or two cases where they said they have had a skull that has shrunk, which is really weird to begin mm. with. That's not, bone doesn't do that normally. Bone yeah. does not <clears throat> shrink and, in mass and I couldn't, from flame. I couldn't find any any further details. They, you know, they mentioned that, but I thought, what What do you mean shrunk? Right. You know, did all of a sudden you get this little bitty skull in there? Right. Or, was it just misshapen a little bit? I, they don't, they just kind of like, yeah, 
it, it shrunk in scope. Yeah, sometimes I think okay. in some of those cases it's misinterpretation of data. Yeah, you know they describe something that's there and they go, "Oh, that must be the skull." Yeah, I, I, I tell you, I tell you right now, don't say shrunken skull to me and then just. Walk off. <laughs> I want some answers, man. You can't just say something like that and go, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, it's, it's her shrunken skull. Eh, you know. Yeah. Uh-uh. But no, I want to know. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't jibe with the, with how a body normally would be burned. Right. You know, they don't talk about. Well, within this this mass, we found fillings. Um, we found a partial bridge that she had. Um, you know, she had a um, fake elbow, or they had to put rods in her arm from a break. None of that. Mm-hmm. Now, not saying that you know every one of these victims has something like that, but I'm just saying there almost everybody in the U.S. has fillings mm-hmm. of some sort, and those are usually left behind because they're metal. Um, you know, there is a, there is a metal in a filling, so it's going to be left behind in a crematorium and they don't speak of any of that. Now, I don't know if they went into great enough detail in searching the ash to find that they may not have, but there is no mention of that being left behind. So you're left to wonder, was the flame hotter than a crematorium? Or did something else happen? You know, there's, when we get into the theories, there's a couple theories that might explain that. But it it's just, it doesn't sit right with me. You know, you can say all day long that, and I know when we get into the, the theory section, I'm going to talk about who will, is probably screaming at us right now, um, screaming at their podcast player. Um, but they're saying, no, it's a medical expert. There is a, you know, a true explanation. <laughs> yeah. It It's this, it's the wick effect. I guarantee it. But I'm not a hundred percent convinced, you know, it makes sense in a way. If you only look at part of it, but if you look at the whole case and every case, there is not a theory that is set forth by anybody that makes complete sense and explains the the case thoroughly enough for people to go, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, you know? and <clears throat> you know, I I I know this well enough. I've had enough friends and family that have you know worked for the fire department. The first thing that they're going to look for in a situation like this is some kind of accelerant. You know, right. And as soon as they find evidence of that, that it's arson. Spawn, and, yeah, yep. it's it's murder. It's arson. It's it's a, a suicide. Um, You know, so. If, if we're saying that these cases were essentially unexplained and, and partially thought to be spontaneous human combustion, then no accelerants were found. You know, there wasn't mm-hmm. something because I, I guarantee you these investigators, if they could have found anything that they could pin this to, they would have done it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because they're it, not going to leave an open case. They don't want to leave a case open right. and say, well, we, we're we not sure. So we think it's this. 
They want a definitive answer, and they want to say, yes, I found a trace of gasoline. I found a cigarette butt. I found something. And they want to close it, and they don't want any questions. Right. So let's move on to this this third case, which um, I, I found really, really interesting. This occurred on March 25th, 1986. So you notice that we're getting much more current. Um, a gentleman named George Mott. George was a fireman in upstate New York, and he had retired. Uh, he had been in the hospital for some lung problems. So he had just come home, and his son was coming in and, and checking on him, and he was making sure that he was doing okay and taking his medications right. Well, they had gotten George what they called um, an oxygen enrichment machine to sleep with, which I think is pretty much, you know, an oxygen concentrator. Um, it's not, it's not like tank oxygen. It's a device that um, takes room air and it concentrates the oxygen, you know, that's in the room air and delivers it to the person so that the air that they're breathing is a little bit richer in, in oxygen. It makes them breathe a little bit easier and whatnot. So, so George had one of these. Okay. Um, so one night, George's son, he had to work. He had to work late. So he didn't get to go by there. So the next evening when he got off work, he, he went to go visit his dad. Now, when he got to the house, he said he knew something was not exactly right. So the windows were kind of, you know, sooted. And so when he reached for the door handle, he said the door handle was warm. And so he immediately went in and he said the smoke just kind of hit him in the face. You know, just this, you know, like, like something was smoldering in there. Something had burned. And one thing that his son didn't mention and investigators have mentioned the absence of in these other cases we've discussed is the smell does not smell like a human body that's burnt. Right. Because they, they all say that is a very distinct smell. I have not smelled it, nor do I want to, but I assume that a fire investigator has smelled it enough to recognize it. You can guarantee it. And he's not, and and none of them, none of them are saying that they're smelling this, you know, during when they, when they go in and investigate these cases. Um, so Adam mentioned the greasy coating that occurs during some of these cases. Well, George's case it, it it occurred then. They they said over every horizontal surface in, in George's house, it was covered with a greasy surface, a greasy uh, coating right. on all the surfaces. Um, the water in the toilet had evaporated. Hmm. So the bathtub was blackened, looked like somebody had taken a bath in black paint. And this... This gives you an idea how much heat was produced. The butter in the refrigerator, in the refrigerator, was melted, and hot dogs in a sealed package looked like they had been cooked in the package. That's hot. Now, that's hot. We're talking about there. It's in a refrigerator. Which is heavily insulated. That's right. Now, George himself was found or his remains were found in his bed. And one thing about this case that, that they talk about was 
fire investigators understand how fire acts in different environments. And, and in a house, there's, there's keys so that they can figure out where this might have begun. And it's this V shape, the way something will burn and the fire will rise up and then spread out towards the ceiling. It will produce these, these V-shaped burns. Well, those V-shaped burns can indicate where a fire may have started. So they're looking for this, and they can actually see that it's there at George's bed, which the bed has been completely destroyed. The mattress had begun to melt and had sunk down to the floor. And for all three of these cases, if you, if you go and search them, there are, there is actual uh, photographs, photographic evidence of what, you know, what these uh, uh, investigators found when they went into the house. And again, I'm seeing photos. They, I, I would, I would like to tell you that they're disturbing, but they're just so outside of the norm mm-hmm. that you, it, it's like I'm looking at it, but I don't really understand what I'm looking at, right. so it doesn't. It's not grotesque. Doesn't affect it, you quite as much. Yeah, but when you start knowing, hey, look at that. That that's what this is, and mm-hmm. that's what that is. I think sometimes it becomes more interesting than anything else, you know, because you can't tell that it's a human being. Right. I mean, you know, you can see a foot with a shoe, but I mean that it, there's not enough of the human body left for you to just really be grossed out about. Mm-hmm. So that was the case with with George Mott. I mean, his bed was was completely destroyed. He, you know, there's there's really nothing of him left, um, other than a few parts of his of his legs and and parts of his skull. Um, so they begin to investigate, and they notice there's another V shaped pattern going up the wall near a window. So. The, the state police came in, and, and they did their investigation. And so their official stance on Mr. Mott's case is that there was an electrical outlet below this window that caught fire, and it caught the curtains on fire. And Mr. Mott went over, trying to put out the fire on the curtains, caught himself on fire, and in turn... The curtains fell to the floor and ignited. While on fire, he ran away and, as he was burning, fell onto his bed and burned to death on his bed. Now, that is the state police's, and like I said, New York, state police's official stance on what happened to George Mott. Now, I'm I'm no cop. And I'm no fire investigator, mm-hmm. but I can I can shoot one big hole in this theory. This guy was a freaking fireman. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had retired. He knew he he knew more about about fire than you know most of us would ever know. Right. And I'm supposed to believe, or anybody's supposed to believe, that this guy sees curtains on fire and is so stupid, walks over there and catches himself on fire. Right. I don't know if you can see the face I've been making behind the microphone here. <laughs> the whole time you've been giving the, the, the tirade. Yeah. Well, 
so all I could think was we start out with the bed in the center of the bed is burned and it's burned so much that it's caving in. And then the the police report wants to say that he caught himself on fire and then went back to bed. Yeah, pretty much. Because I'm sorry, but if you're on fire and you're running and you trip and fall on the bed, I would be willing to bet that 98% of the time you're not going to land directly in the middle of the bed with your head up at the headboard and your feet down at the the foot of the bed. You are going to be feet off of the bed. You're not going to crawl up onto the bed. How fast would you have to be going to hit it, do a flip, and land in the center of the bed? I'm sorry, but no, Mr. Ossifer, that's not (laughs) what happened. You know, I'm I'm a layperson here with no experience investigating crime scenes. I've never been out to a crime scene to investigate it, but I see a problem with that from the get-go. While you were telling me about it, I knew where this was going for some reason, and my brain went, no, 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 no. That's not what happened. And and the fire investigators felt exactly the same way. So they went back. Good. And they they tore out the wall. And they checked the outlets. And they said there wasn't a short. Outlet didn't burn. There was no damage on the inside of the wall. Right. Which with an electrical fire, that's where the damage is going to be. It's going to be on the inside of the wall. Right. It's going to burn its way out. It wasn't that way. So that was not what happened. Right. Now, again, I'm not here to tell you guys this guy died from spontaneous human combustion. I'm here to tell you that they could not. People that have researched this way more than I ever could, Mm -hmm. could not figure out what exactly happened and then chalked it up to some ridiculous theory. Yep. You know, this ex-fireman decided to grab flaming curtains, catch himself on fire and run and tuck himself into bed while on fire. Because, you know, that old saying Mm -hmm. when you're on fire, you stop, get in bed and snuggle down. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Stop, snuggle, sleep. Right. That's it. Wait. That's it. Wait a minute. Yeah. I think Brooks told me it was stop, drop and roll. Yeah. Yeah. That's And how old is she? Um, Brooks is eight. Eight. He. So, oh, hey, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I was thinking and, of and your your to, little daughter. I had yeah. to, I had to work that in because he's asked me for the last three weeks to mention him on the podcast. Oh, so he asked his he asked his teacher to listen. So if if uh, if you're listening, hi. Yeah, <laughs> and my bad, Brooks. I was thinking about your sister. Yeah, because right. I I was thinking right. about how. Young yeah. children are when they learn stop, drop, and roll. His sister is Piper, and if I don't mention her, she's going to get mad. So oh, I've hi, Piper. But hi, back, to, back to George. Um, one thing that this case does not have in common with the other two is that the first two, Miss Reeser and Miss Oski, were both smokers. George had quit smoking because of the lung problems he had. Um, he was no longer smoking. 
and the fact that he was on some level of oxygen in the house. So, again, it's something else. They can't just, oh, well, he, you know, he was smoking and he had oxygen in the house, and that's what did. Nope. Nope. He wasn't smoking. Right. So, um, you know, a, a, I thought this was one of the most interesting cases. So that's why I, I put this in there. But to be honest, I mean, I, I probably read over a, a dozen different case files. Some were very, you know, short and brief. Um, I know Adam looked up, you know, a, a dozen or so. And these these had the most discussion points. These uh, we thought were the most interesting. But there's a lot out there. And if you want to look into this a little bit further, a lot, maybe even, you know, a lot further than what Adam and I did, go out there. I mean, there's there's information out there about it. I mean, it, it it's an interesting topic. I know it's kind of outside of the box for us, but, you know, th- this is something that is not explained. And, and something that's unexplainable, you know, is right up our alley. Right. So. It's like our description says, you know, discussing the oddities in the world. And this is one of those. This is absolutely one. So we, we've we talked about these cases. We've talked about what it is. And, and now, Adam, let's get into a little bit about how this could, how, how could we explain this? All right. So let's get into the theories. So the question has been asked, if SHC is a real phenomenon, why doesn't it happen more often? There are 7 billion people in the world, and yet we don't see reports of people bursting into flames while walking down the street. You know, no one's ever been seen, filmed, videotaped, surveillance camera, nothing has caught people suddenly bursting into flames. Always seems to happen to a single person left alone, quotes, near a source of ignition. Now, they say if some natural mechanism causes this combustion, why does it only occur in humans? Why don't, you know, why don't cows, dogs, elephants just spontaneously burst into flames? Like you're sitting there and your pet schnauzer just goes and they're in flames. So they say it's incredibly rare, but with that many billions of people and animals, statistically, you should see it happen more often. Mm -hmm. So I get that. I mean, that, you know, that's a good question, a good thought. But like we're talking, one of the early thoughts was that alcoholism caused that. And I'll get into that here in a minute. But there was also the thing that it's not necessarily that because of alcohol you're prone to burning. It's that you're just remarkably unlucky was actually one of the theories. Um, The countess that we, right... Uh, the <laughs> dude, you're really unlucky because you just caught you just, caught fire. You just burst into flames. Yeah. You're like, man, you're so unlucky. You are so. I'm never going uh, going to <laughs> Las Vegas with you. That's just no, not happening. <laughs> it's like last week. You know, you 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 fell in some mud. This week, you burst into flames. Right. You're not so unlucky. Like, how bad a week you having? Well, man, I stubbed my toe. Oh, really? I burst into flames yesterday. <laughs> That's how unlucky I am. But the countess that we were discussing earlier, um, the Reverend Joseph Bianchini, who was the first person to examine the scene, he said that her death must have been caused by a lightning strike that either traveled down the chimney 
or snuck through the cracks in the window. But kind of dismissed that fact because no one heard thunder uh, or anything like that. But they said it possible that it could have been fulmina without a noise. Now, fulmina is an old term for multiple lightning bolts. So this is getting into one of our other theories here in a minute, but that it was a just a random lightning bolt that caught her and burnt her. Now, one of the earliest theories for it was preternatural combustibility. Now this, it's basically alcoholism. You know, it's when you drink an abnormally large amount of alcohol for an abnormally long amount of time and your tissues become so saturated with this flammable liquid that basically it's enough to burn you and your bone and everything from an external source. So this goes along with an external source that you're just, you're basically a walking Zippo. You know, you've filled your every tissue in your body full of alcohol. Now, the problem with that is go try to light your vodka on fire. It's not going to light. You have to reach a certain proof of alcohol for it to be combustible. You can't do the spitting fire with any alcohol. You have to have a high, high test alcohol for that to happen. So if you're just drinking beer or you're, you know, drinking wine all the time, that's not going to be flammable enough to catch fire. So blows a hole in that theory. So what are we talking about? Like PGA? Yeah. Yeah. You're talking that or, or like, um, uh, hell, I can't even think uh, Everclear. Yeah, you need something like Everclear. So if you drink Everclear all the time, that might happen. Um, but or, or whatever rum it is, they pour on those bananas and set it on fire. Right, right. Um, so another theory is ball lightning, and <laughs> sounds dangerous. It yeah, it's very dangerous. Before we get into kind of what ball lightning is, um, I've got a story here that happened in 1989, May of 1989, in Hungary. And the it, it was described in the UK Journal of Meteorology. And the way the description goes is the victim was a 27, 27-year-old engineer within whose body it is conjectured ball lightning formed. The man had stopped his car and walked to the edge of the field about 10 meters distance to urinate. His wife, who had remained behind in the car, saw that the young man was surrounded by blue light. He opened his arms wide and fell to the ground. His wife ran to him, noticing that one of his tennis shoes had been torn off. And although she felt it was hopeless, she did try to save him. Soon after that, a bus passed, and there were medical doctors on the bus but all they could do was pronounce him dead. An autopsy was carried out shortly after that, and they realized that he did have damage in his lungs, and he had complete carbonization of his stomach, which means it burnt so thoroughly that nothing was left but carbon, just ash carbon. Now, the the doctor noted this is indicative of internal combustion, 
just as the blue light is proof of atmospheric electricity, while the damaged heel and shoe are indicative of electrical earthing. Now, some of y'all may have heard of ball lightning. Some of y'all may have not. Um, but ball lightning is something that has not been proven yet. It's been studied for many, many years, but it's still it's still a theory. And they said that, you know, there's no actual scientific explanation for ball lightning. Um, it's speculated that it's electromagnetic radiation uh, to plasma clouds. So what they're leaning toward now is plasma clouds. It's that that other state of matter that, you know, it's between a gas and a liquid. And it's when matter is superheated to a point that it forms plasma. Um, there's also been really unusual explanations that it's many black holes created during the Big Bang or an alien presence. But no one has yet really confirmed what it is. But basically what they're saying is that ball lightning could form. And in some accounts of ball lightning, you see it going in and out of a room. You know, you see it travel in ways that light or lightning do not travel because both of those are in a straight line. Ball lightning is said to kind of hover in a spherical type mass and it has tendrils that come out from this ball and it looks kind of like it's being pulled in multiple different ways by these tendrils. And if it's plasma, that's basically it discharging on matter around it and so it's jerking back and forth um so it it moves in ways that normal matter doesn't and they think that what's happening is that it's traveling into a human body and basically lighting them on fire now one of the cases that also comes from the journal of meteorology that could kind of prove this is a weird one uh, with a, in quotes, attack on some Russian campers that in involved a glowing yellow ball of lightning. Now, here's the quote from someone who survived this. I woke up with a strange feeling that a stranger had made his way into our tent. Thrusting my head out of the sleeping bag, I froze. A bright yellow blob was floating about one meter from the floor. It disappeared into my friend's sleeping bag. The man screamed in pain. The ball then jumped out and proceeded to circle over the other bags, going from one to another and hiding inside of each one. When it burned a hole in mine, I felt an unbearable pain, as if I were being burned by a welding machine, and I blacked out. Regaining consciousness after a while, I saw the same yellow ball, which methodically observing a pattern that was known only to it, kept diving into the bags and out of the bags. And every time it went into the bag, it would evoke a desperate, heart-rendering howl from its victims. The indescribable horror repeated itself several times. 
When I came back to my senses for the fifth or sixth time, the ball was gone. I could not move my arms or legs, and my body was burning as if it had turned into a ball of fire itself. In the hospital, where we were flown by a helicopter, seven wounds were discovered on my body. They were worse than burns. Pieces of my muscle were, were found to be torn out of the bone. The same happened to three of my friends, and the first friend of mine, that it, and I'm just leaving out the names for... Pronunciation's sake? Yeah, pronunciation and privacy's sake, but I'm going to go with privacy since it doesn't make me sound quite as <laughs> ignorant. Uh, the first friend had actually been killed, so possibly because his bag had been on a rubber mattress insulating it from the ground so that it wasn't able to discharge into the ground. It just stayed in his body. Um, but it said the ball lightning did not touch a single metal object, and it only injured people. So that's kind of a, a story about ball lightning hurting people. The thing about ball the ball lightning idea is you're you're going to use something that you can't confirm exists to explain something that you can't confirm exists. Right. It's like Bigfoot telling you where the Loch Ness monster is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's so wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, if I want to find Nessie, I'm going to go ask Bigfoot. Yeah, that's right. You know, they got to have some kind of connection, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so another theory is gas expelling bacteria in the gut. Now, gases and material in the gut are said to combine with alcohol in the body. And they get they get stirred up by normal body movements of the intestines churning the food breathing, and they become a combustible material. And it's basically like, you know, those uh, hand warmer things that you crack Mm -hmm. and you mix two chemicals. That's basically the theory of what's happening, that the gas-expelling bacteria in your gut is mixing with alcohol through normal body functions, and it's causing the heating up of your internal organs until you burst into flames. If that's the case, then I have narrowly dodged spontaneous combustion many times. I was thinking the exact same thing for myself. Right. But the amount of gassy food that I have eaten while drinking beer, yeah. I have narrowly avoided SHC. So yeah. Times. Tacos and Corona. Right. Better could, could catch you on fire. Be careful on Taco Tuesday, people. It's probably just gonna make your uh your rear end hurt really right. bad. <laughs> that will combust, but probably nothing else will. Now, another theory of for some of the people that have avoided the actual combustion but have shown signs of it is a drug reaction. Now, I've got a story about this as well. On Thanksgiving Day, 19-year-old Yasmin Castaneda said she felt sick. A friend gave her some medication that she had taken for her own illness. So that day, Yasmin's eyes, nose, and throat began to burn severely. She was taken to the emergency room where burn blisters began to appear over her entire body. Within four days, her skin was falling off as if she had suffered third-degree burns. She was transferred to the University of California Irvine's burn unit 
where doctors determined over 70% of her skin was damaged. She was given the same medical treatment a burn victim would receive undergoing several skin surgeries. Now, the question is, okay, was she on the verge of combusting? Probably not. She suffered from what is called Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Now, what is Stevens-Johnson syndrome? Well, I can tell you that. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! Adam knows stuff. Stevens-Johnson syndrome, it's a rare, serious disorder of your skin and your mucous membranes. It's usually It usually occurs from medication that you take or an infection in the body. Um, a certain herpes simplex can cause it, um, and other autoimmune infections can cause it. So if it burns when you pee, Go, you're probably not experiencing spontaneous Right, that's not SHC, that's just something else. Uh, but often it begins with flu-like symptoms, and then it's followed by painful red or purplish rash that usually spreads over the entire body, and it becomes blisters. Then the top layer of the skin dies and sheds. Um, it is a medical emergency. You need to go to the hospital if this happens. Um, some of the, the symptoms of this, the signs of the symptoms to watch for, is fever, unexplained, unexplained widespread skin pain, a red or purplish skin rash that spreads, blisters that form on your skin and the mucous membranes of your mouth, nose, eyes, and genitals, or shedding of your skin within days after the blisters. It, it can complicate into sepsis, which is a blood infection. It can cause eye problems, secondary skin infections like cellulitis, or it can lead to acute respiratory failure. And they think because it affects lungs, eyes, makes it appear that you've had third-degree burns, that some of these cases that they say of people that have survived SHC, they've actually had a bout of Stevens-Johnson syndrome rather than SHC. So another quick theory that we'll go through is the electrical arc. And what that is, is basically that you're next to an outlet and something malfunctions in the outlet. And it, you stick a fork in it. Right, right. And uh, it causes an arc of electricity to hit your body, which then ignites you. And then now you're on fire and nothing else is because it arced into you. Now, a... The Department of Electrical Engineering actually looked into electrical arcs starting fires. And in a paper, Dr. Bernard Belland actually disproved this. And I'll read a little bit of it, not much at all, because it goes into stuff that doesn't matter. But he said in two recent articles, the significance of arcing as related to fire investigation was discussed. It was shown that an arc is difficult to start under household conditions. In case an arc is started, it is likely to be unstable and either extinguish, extinguish itself or degenerate in a short circuit and open the protective device. 
It has been concluded in this study that the evidence of arcing is not a significant reason to blame electricity as the cause of fire. So basically, with the way our house is wired, it's going to short circuit and blow a fuse before it arcs. So you're not going to get an arc to cause a fire. It's not going to be a cause for SHC. Yeah, and um, if I uh, if I know my history correctly, uh, this country still executes people right by electricity right, and they smoke and smolder, but they don't disintegrate right or incinerate, uh, incinerate. right. So the fact that you know one of your outlets you know is gonna arc a, you know out of a something's gonna arc out of a one one ten outlet that's mm-hmm. gonna cause you to burst into flames. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't buy it, that. it could electrocute <laughs> you, but it's not going yeah, to incinerate stop you. your heart. I right. guess if it was, you know, right. I don't know. I've been shocked by a one ten. Yeah, I have too, but. <laughs> It wasn't real bad. That's why I'm still sitting here talking to you. But, you know, I I clenched my teeth real hard. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the last theory I've got is one we touched on several times. And I talked to buddy of ours, Anthony, who is a deputy coroner, to get some of this information and then found some of it as well on online. And he sent me some links. But. It's the external ignition or the wick effect. Human fat can actually cause grease fires. Mm -hmm. So crematoriums will take extreme caution with obese bodies so that fat does not spill out and cause a flare-up. Now, it takes around 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit and above and over two hours or more to cremate human remains. As we were talking, a cigarette tip only burns at around 700 degrees Celsius. So think about that. How could a cigarette be an explanation? The heat has to be intensified by burning the fat and the clothing in order to increase. Now in candles, the wick itself is not what produces a flame even though it is what is lit first. Shortly after the the wick is lit, the wax below the flame becomes liquid and it gets drawn up into the wick. And that is actually what's burning until the wax gets low enough to where the wick itself burns down to meet the wax again, and so on and so on. So basically that wax is getting carried up the wick and it's burning that way. Now, the hypothesis suggests that a small external flame source, like a burning cigarette or a pop from a fireplace or something, chars the clothing of the victim at a certain location. Now this heats up enough to where it splits the skin and it releases the subcutaneous fat which then gets melted. When it gets melted, it's absorbed into the clothing as it's burning. So then it becomes a wick. And as we were talking before, you're basically turning into a human candle. 
this can cause the fire to burn for a long, long time. And they say this effect has been successfully tested on animal tissue. Yeah. Pig skin. I watched a video of them taking pork fat. Right. And they actually put it inside a bag made from the leg of a child's pajama set Mm -hmm. and, and lit it on fire. And with the exception of the end where they ignited, the the cloth remains virtually undamaged. Right. You know, the the as the fat heats up, it's just seeping into the cloth, and the cloth doesn't burn. It's the fat that's, you know, being wicked, you know, into the cloth is what's right. burning. Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. They say the human body typically has enough stored fat and other chemicals to fully combust the body. Even lean people have several pounds of fat in their tissues. Once it's heated, the fat, like we said before, is extremely flammable. So the protein also burns in the body, but it provides a lot less energy than fat. So you've got the fat burning and you've got the protein burning. So what happens then is the water in the body is the main impedant to that combustion. But through slow combustion, as they're saying is happening with the wick effect, it gives the water time to evaporate. So in a closed area such as a house, the moisture will recondense nearby, such as the windows or tabletops or whatever. And this becomes the greasy residue that you see on the tabletop. And they say the reason that hands and feet usually don't burn unless the hand is laying on the torso is because there is not enough fat in the hands or in the feet to continue the wick effect. By the time it gets there, it basically the wick, it's like the wick at the bottom of a candle. You can still have some wax left at the bottom or some wax left around the outside, but it's not enough to wick up into it and burn. So basically the wick then just catches fire and burns out. So that's, they say what is happening with the hands and the feet. That's why they're left. But now if you have your hand on your stomach, then obviously it's there in the center of the fattiest part of your body and is going to just get caught up in the flame. That is one of the most logical theories. If you look at it, look at all the other ones we've got. Mm -hmm. That is the most logical theory. Yeah. However, I still don't feel like it explains every one of the cases. I, my problem with the wick theory is the heat, you know, it's generating enough heat to, you know, incinerate bone. And I realized that the time, if this if this worked this way, which you know evidence shows that it it does, you know whether it would do this to a human body, you know nobody's going to sign up and volunteer for that test, right? You know, hey, put me in some underoos and set me on fire. Let's right. see what happens. The theory itself works. Yeah, the theory works. It's just a matter of can can it work so well? so efficiently that it burns a human body at a heat high enough to 
you know, disintegrate bone. Right. And every time. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it it's tough. But like I said, there, there's there's no way to actually test this. You know, none of these cases anybody's actually witnessed. I mean, there have right. been there have been witnessed cases, but in in the cases that I read, you know, for example, um, uh, the lady in London, mm-hmm. um, the the lady who spit fire. Yeah, yeah, she was a, a mentally challenged lady who her father was her caregiver and her brother in law was there, and they they saw flame come. What they said was coming out of her out of her mouth, and then the flame was coming out of her her belly. Um. You know, they got her to the hospital and, and you know, she succumbed within a few days. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the medical report was inconsistent. You know, the it's just, it's really tough. You know, you're, you're looking at it, it's like, hey, you witnessed this, but there's a lot of explanations that Mike could have brought mm-hmm. this up. I mean, it's easy to kind of chunk it in there. Right. With everything else. There's never been a, a witnessed case that has ended in the way that these bodies have been found. Yeah. What you know, no one's no one's seen like a video of the person <laughs> laying there and the wick effect starts and they the whole thing is filmed. Yeah. And then the investigators show up and they they find the remains of the body. They're like, "Well, what happened?" They can't, you know, they're leaning toward SHC. Well, then they find the videotape and they go, "Okay, Here's exactly what happened. There's yeah. never been anything like that happen. No. So there is no definitives in this case. And if you're there, you're going to put them out. <laughs> right. Hey, you know. <laughs> well, you hope. Yeah. You know. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going to put them out. And it's not, you know, anything like, um, you know, the the Rage Against the Machine album cover with the monk that, mm-hmm. you know, he set mm-hmm. himself on fire. Right. You know. Right. It's not the, again, not the same thing. So, you know, really truthfully there's not been an actual witness case Mm -hmm. of this. I mean, even though there are some witness that you're like, well, uh, I don't know. It doesn't really fit. And maybe it was the start of one and they stopped it or whatever, but yeah, but you know, it's it's still, you know, there's, there's no way to test this theory. I, I, I like it. I see where it works. Um, I just have, I have issues with the idea that, it's going to produce enough heat to do that to the human body. And if it produces enough heat to do that to the human body, why doesn't it damage stuff around it? And I, I can't get my head around the idea that regardless of how somebody would would catch fire, no matter how hot they are, why why, why doesn't it damage stuff that's right next to them? Right. I, I can't. I, I haven't seen an explanation that, I, I mean, I understand, you know, fire... Heat fire goes upward. It's very difficult for fire to go sideways. Mm-hmm. So th- there's there's a there's a reasonable idea that something could be sitting next to a fire and and not be damaged at all because things above, as the fire moves up and spreads, that's what's going to cause the damage. I mean, it's the reason why you can. You can have a fireplace. It's a reason why you can sit around a campfire and not burst into flames when you're right. sitting right there. It's because, you know, the heat goes up. It doesn't go out. I mean, you feel it, mm-hmm. but 
because of that, because you you feel heat, you're not you're not standing above it, so you're not feeling all the heat. But if we're talking about twenty five hundred degrees, mm-hmm. I I just gotta think something yeah. something beside if you're standing next to that, you're going to feel it. Right. You know. And and paper for sure. Plastic, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think paper's flammable. I mean, you know, plastic, you know, it'll melt and yep. then catch fire. Yep. You know, causing more damage. Right. So So on that note, what are your guys' theories? Do y'all have any theories that we didn't touch on? Do you agree with the human wick effect theory? Do you disagree? Have you ever researched it? Um, shoot us an email. Hit us up in the Facebook group. If you're not part of the Facebook group, come on over and join, and let's discuss. Hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, you meet can, us. Meet us over at the the Yankee Candle Store to smell the new uh, SHC flavor. That's disgusting. <laughs> that I will never have that in my house. Uh, but yeah, hit us up in some way and. You know, let us know what you think about it. Uh, we, you know, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And go to Facebook, um, find us uh, at Graveyard Tales Podcast. Join our Facebook group. Uh, we're we're adding new people in every day, mm-hmm. and you know there there's more more activity, more conversations, and. Believe it or not, folks, I do read all these. I don't always comment. <laughs> but uh, like I said, you know, Adam's the one that's going to tweet you back. But uh, but I do read, and every, every once in a while, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post a comment. Most of the time, it's just to say thank you. Right. Um, we really, really appreciate your support. Yeah, it, it means the world to us. And, you know, we probably would be doing this, but – if nobody listened, but we certainly wouldn't be doing it as frequently and it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. That's right. Um, so again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you back in the graveyard next time.